What's up, everybody? Welcome to another Thursday episode of Simply Cyber Live. I'm your guest host, I guess. <laughs> I'm not the guest at all. I'm definitely the host, uh, Gerald Dozier. Every single Thursday at 4.30 Eastern time, we invite cybersecurity industry professionals to come in, share their perspectives, share their experiences, make all of us better, and generally have a great time. Today, I've got a wicked special guest. I'm super pumped to bring Bryson Board on. I've been trying to uh, coordinate with him uh, for several months uh, to come on the show. I, I met him in person at DEF CON uh, last July. I actually spent some time with him. It was a great experience uh, and started pitching the idea of him coming on. The dude has oodles of information to share with us. So settle in. Guys, get your questions ready. If you have a question for Bryson during the stream, go ahead and drop a cue in front of it if you can. Uh, so I know it's for me. There is a lot of chatter. Uh, and sometimes you guys are talking to each other and everything like that. I will bring chat onto stream with us uh, once we get Bryson in here. But just to give you a little bit of perspective on like the caliber of dude that Bryson is, okay? Um, <laughs> get ready. Okay, he's the founder of Scythe, right? It's a startup uh, company building a next-gen attack emulation platform, which is really the focus of what today's is. As you can see, it says Firesight with adversary emulation. We're going to get, like, roll up your sleeves. We're going to get wicked hands dirty all up in adversary uh, emulation and get his thoughts on it. He's also the founder of Grim, which is a cybersecurity consulting company and co-founder of dun, 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 DEF CON's industrial control system, ICS Village, right? No, no small feat if you know how big and how awesome the ICS Village is. That is a nonprofit advancing awareness of industrial control system security. And you know what? It's been around for a few years. He's not just a founder. I was at ICS Village talking to Don uh, Weber the other day, it, or the other day at DEF CON, and like Bryson is like busting his hump, like making sure people are getting their lunches and stuff like that. So he is like all up in the mix. He's also a senior fellow at the National Security Institute and an advisor to the Army Cyber Institute as well. He's got um, a degree from West Point. You may have heard of it. Uh, he's done computer science, um, electrical engineering, like the list goes on. The guy is just a treasure. I can't wait for you to meet him. Let me go get him. And we're going to get right all up into the adversary emulation space. So stay tuned. What's up, Bryson? How are you, my friend? I think you could have summarized my uh, bio a lot simpler as I mostly just bring people lunch. Yes, you do do that. But I'll tell you what, as a man who, who seeks out excellence, you brought the lunch, like you brought the heat with the lunch. Like you definitely delivered it. You made sure people got it. There was a quality expectation there and you, you nailed it, Bryson. So good on you. Yeah, I think uh, one of the fallacies that most people have around a chief executive officer, particularly as a, a startup founder, is this life of glamour. Um, certainly, I, I post a lot about the all the planes I'm on because I'm just constantly traveling and speaking and engaging with different clients and different mm -hmm. conferences. But to be the CEO of a startup is to be anywhere from the janitor to the lunch lady to the CEO themselves. And you have to leave that ego aside and make sure that you're taking care of everybody. Yeah, actually, you know, you bring up a good point. We hear about uh, startup life and having to wear multiple hats, but sometimes you don't really see that. You just see the glitz and glamour of like, oh, I'm the CEO and I got like round, you know, or series B funding or whatever. I got a million dollars. And it's like, no, you know, like someone's got to make the lunches, right? Or someone's got to deliver the lunches. And that's that's real life, man. So we actually had Ian Garrett. I don't know if you know Ian Garrett from Phalanx. I saw him uh, speaking at GrimCon or going to be speaking at GrimCon. Uh, another uh, startup founder, he was on just two weeks ago on Simply Cyber Live talking about that startup life and really revealing those type of things. But let, let's pivot before we uh, do a talk on startup life. Um, we're talking adversary emulation and Scythe is a platform and I'll, I'll bring a screenshot up here uh, into the stream while you're responding to this. But can you kind of talk about just at a high level, like what the heck is adversary emulation and why should why should Carrie, Kimberly, Jidey and Harish want to know or care about what adversary emulation is? Uh, so I first, I do know Ian Garrett. I am an investor in Phalanx. Uh, so oh, that's I didn't know I that. Also cool. Do. I'm, an, I'm an angel investor in uh, probably about 10 different cybersecurity companies because it's not just enough about you pushing your own idea. Um, I'm really excited about helping the next generation come and bring new tech and new ideas to the market. So um, they're much smarter than I am. And it's just awesome to get to, to go on that ride. Um, why should we care about adversary emulation? <clears throat> so 
Security is defined by the threat. Just let that kind of percolate. Security itself, there's no objective measure of it, right? If we build a bridge, I know with an engineering tolerance what that bridge can carry, what its weight is, what the temperature fluctuations, there is a science behind it. Cybersecurity doesn't have that. We don't. We basically live in this groundhog's day of, I learned what happened six months ago yesterday, and I try to apply it today. And then tomorrow I get surprised by something different because when we look at the entire attack chain, it's effectively infinite. And one of the points I'm gonna make immediately, and I'm gonna make this multiple times, is we're all too fond of looking at it just through the technical nerd lens. The entire attack chain and your exposure, your defense is not just technical. It has users, it has people, it has the IT staff themselves. That's all a part of this. So the point of adversary emulation is if security is defined by the threat, then I need to be able to realistically and safely bring that threat to bear so that I can drive effectively a functional signal into my environment to truly measure my portfolio of people, process, and technology. So a platform like Scythe helps individuals with adversary emulation, but I agree with you 100%. People, process, technology are kind of the three uh, surfaces, for lack of a better term, that you could look at uh, for weaknesses and such. So is Scythe uh, just focused on the technical for that piece of adversary emulation, or can it help facilitate uh, you know, understanding people weakness, process weakness? Yeah, so how we're able to do that is um, it's a question of how, how the threat is applied, right? If you look at a traditional red team, a red team is able to bring the users into that mix, right? The users are effectively part of the surface area. And as much as Scythe is able to do that, um, we do that as well. So maybe I should quick take a step back and explain what Scythe is at a technical level to tie that together. Oh, so yeah. all yeah. Scythe is, is a post-access modular malware framework. So I, I, as an army officer, I always joke that the blank look isn't fake. It, I break things down very simply. There are only three phases of an attack you need to understand, right? You've seen kill chain. You're probably familiar with MITRE attack. Let's put those to the side, although I do really want to hit on MITRE attack later. There's only three phases we need to understand. Reconnaissance, this is effectively the thieves casing the neighborhood, picking your house, and then figuring out what is the makeup of that house. Like, when do they come and go? What is the most likely way into that house? Initial access, the breach. This is where I, I can go up and jimmy the door, and it automatically opens, or I bring my own lock pick, or I go in through a back door, or I go in through a window, right? Initial access. And the first point is, this is psychologically where we as an industry are over-focused on. We want to keep the bad people out, but the reality is you can't. So a certain amount of effort needs to be applied, but just accept the fact that, of course, you will be breached. A determined adversary and even very unsophisticated ones will inevitably get in. It's just the law of numbers. But here's the good news. That moment is just they've got shell back. Right, The terminal calls back and it's like, hey, I'm in. So what? You haven't done anything to me yet. What happens in the third step is post-access. Right, This is where the thief makes their proverbial money. I'm in the house. Where's the safe? How do I break into the safe? How do I get the money out of the house? And so what our platform does is we replicate all of those behaviors. And how we did it is I looked at malware and was like, it basically only has two attributes. It has to talk and it has to do things on a host. So we broke those down into modules, basically like little Legos. And now you can put those Legos together in any order and you can now realistically recreate the threat itself. So I'm building the threat payloads up from scratch. And if something new comes out, well, that Delta, that Lego that I just is all I have to change. And now I, it goes back in and extends my arsenal. So when we talk about the people inclusion in this, I've got these payloads operating, You know, whether it's a red team able to run those or we've made them where you can build the logic of the threat into it so it will make its own decisions and do things in the environment, that's going to change based on where it is in the environment, what the user's doing, whether the user had good hygiene or bad hygiene is gonna affect that. And then the other part of this, and this is where industry still is woefully short, even on the top of it, is we're still looking very simplistically at the defenses as technical controls, right? preventative or detective? Can I stop an action or am I able to see an action? And the people side of that is 
That is just the technical visibility at the host and network level that should build up at a central point like a SIM where you're bringing human involvement in, right? That's what an alert is. An alert is the machine saying, this logic has been tripped, a person needs to be involved, and now we've begun that you know deeper level of detection into response. And that's the other part of the people measurement that's still lacking, but is the critical part where you really can start to show what your defenses are over time. Yeah, so um, Harish Kumar asked a question. I, I don't understand anything about like what adversary emulation is all about. And Justin Gold said it's kind of like a pen test, but being as close to a specific threat actor as possible. So with using Scythe as like an example, but adversary emulation is a concept. Scythe just happens to be a tool to help you exercise that concept. What, what, like, what is the, where does it fit, right? So you just outlined kind of like the simplified version of the kill chain and why people are hyper-focused on the initial access and just the technical uh, signals that come out of that. But programmatically, where does something like adversary emulation fit in so people can appreciate the macro picture and where this, you know, plugs in? Yeah, I mean, effectively, adversary emulation is just a realistic replication of the logic of an attacker, right? With technical steps. I want to I want to specifically say that because that's different than a tabletop exercise where we can we can talk about these things and I can have somebody behaving like an adversary, right? And that's that's more of me me trying to have that seat at the table. Here with adversary emulation, I want the actual technical forensic steps, right? What I do on a host is what a an adversary would do on a host. What goes on the network like what the adversary would send on the network, whether that's the command and control, whether that's data exfiltration, whether that's lateral movement. Um, just also answering the pen test thing, because this is a, a common vernacular challenge we have, right? Mm -hmm. Penetration testing is different from red teaming. Penetration testing is initial access. I'm looking at how do I gain unauthorized access to a system? And red teaming, that may be a component of red teaming, right? Initial access, how I get on that system might be a part of it, but then, all of the things that I do from there, because different users, different systems represent different levels of access and or impact to a business. I have a question, Bryson, because you, Bryson was Army, and I believe, you know, if I'm not mistaken, did, you know, cyber ops type related stuff in, in the military service. When we talk these terms, red team and blue team, those are rooted in military exercises, right? And that's why a red team is a posing as a known APT or a known adversary doing the things that they do because you need to test your blue team stuff. Looking at kind of the, the historical arc of cybersecurity mapping to the, the blue team, the red team, tabletop exercises, purple team. I mean, are we following like a maturation that corresponds to like what the military was 50 years ago? And, and I'm curious about that. I'm curious why it took us so long in your perspective to come up with purple teaming. Cause in my opinion, purple teaming is a relatively new term uh, and where you think we might go based on those lessons learned. Uh, yeah. First uh, shout out, go read our, our free book on GitHub. Um, if you search uh, Scythe purple team, um, that'll probably pull it up, but you can also search uh, purple team exercise framework, PTEF. Um, it is a community driven. So it wasn't just us going like, Hey, here's, here's a vendor thing. Um, we, we brought in a lot of folks, um, a lot of the origin of it that I think would be of real interest is, um, our previous CTO, George Rochias, when he was the senior vice president over, um, threat, um, management at Citigroup, um, they were pushing a lot of these concepts before, right? We even had like the term purple teaming, um, tying this back into the military, um, example, right? We have this concept called train as you fight At the end of the day. I want to know how we're going to react before the real thing happens. And that's what we're trying to do with red teaming, penetration testing, all of that security testing, right? That's what I, I called quality assurance. I want to know what I look like before the fight happens, before the first punch is thrown. And the more realistic that I can do that, the more realistic that I can train, the more confidence that I have on how my people and my tech will behave. So tying this into a military environment, right? Um, so I was an armor officer. And let me tell you, there is no greater moment in life than being in a tank and being in charge and blowing things up. This computer stuff, it's, you know, it's okay, it's cool, but tanks, tanks were where it was at. And the, <laughs> the top of training in, um, for, for a tanker is the National Training Center out Fort, Win Fort Irwin, California. 
And this is where they do major like force on force exercises so that you can really see like how entire units will work, you know, all the way at a, you know, soldier level to a unit level to a large organization level against that. And in that setup, right, you have the blue team, which are the, you know, us, that's we're the good folks. And the opposing side is the red team. And you have uh, units that have effectively trained in adversary tactics like the Russians um, or so that they can use their equipment and their tactics against you. So you can really see what would happen before real warfare. So that's that's really just grounding it in reality, what red or blue would look like. A purple team equivalent of that. So the definition that I've come up with, because there, there's some competing ones, and most people simplify it to red plus blue, because red plus blue equals purple. Right. Seems easy enough. <laughs> collaborative, milestone-driven exercise. We do this together. We plan it together. We execute it together. We fix it together. And we're doing it in a milestone-driven fashion, right? It's not like a traditional red team where they go away for one, two, three weeks and then show up with the report drop it on your desk and go, okay, did you have a, a full-time job already? Because here's a bunch of things for you to fix. See you later. Purple teaming is saying, let's do that together. So in that example of the National Training Center, that would be like the, the, the Russian op four, the adversary emulator saying, okay, first thing we're going to do is we're going to execute this tactic because this is the first thing the Russians do in the order of battle. And what happens? And you're like, okay, so when that, this happens. Well, is that what we expected? No, we really screwed that up. Okay, reset. Let's do it again. But we made this change. And so you go through step by step and in most cases, right, driven by the tactics, techniques and procedures of the adversary themselves as those milestones. The reason I make it bigger with my phrasing than red plus blue with the collaborative piece is a lot of the talks I've been giving the last year have been encouraging what I call more of an advanced purple team which is why aren't we not including our security champions from other organizations to come and participate in that? Why are we not bringing more than just red and blue, like IT or other business functions to be a part of these exercises? So just the language allows more of this collaborative approach where we're fixing it as we go, we're educating as we go. And then with the red expert there, driving a true adversarial behavior at a computer at a network level. So you have that realism being done there. Um, so the concept of purple teaming kind of existed beforehand and as much as business has been doing these kinds of concepts, they might not have been in the IT or the cybersecurity space, but the idea of red teaming um, at a business level was something that existed well before IT was even a thing. Um, and purple teaming, I feel that that collaborative continuous process improvement, more like what you would see in a lean or Six Sigma uh, process was something that was also already there. It just took us a while to make that change and I think the biggest change in our generation was Target in 2012. That's what created the modern cybersecurity ecosystem. It's amazing when you think how young this space is. Until mm -hmm. 2000, we didn't have firewalls. We didn't even separate our networks from other people. In 2012, you had firewalls and AV as pretty much the standard deployment and nothing else. Target happened and it was the first time, not that somebody was like, oh, we technically get the problem here because people have been demonstrating different kinds of hacks for forever. The problem was the business didn't care. It didn't click. Target was the first time that at the board level, it was like, oh, this is a problem. I might be, I might go to jail. Now I care about this. Here's the blank check nerds. Do you want some pizza? Like, please solve this so I don't go to jail. And that created this whole market. Oh, yes, it did. Yeah. Um, it is funny. Um, you know, it's it's almost like a macro example of, we see this time and time again, like you can't get the business buy-in. You can't get the business to understand whether you convey it well communicatively or you, you don't. And then an incident happens and all of a sudden it's like, what do you need? Here's as much money as you want. And like, it's funny that you're saying that the, the target event was kind of a macro version of that for the entire uh, society, frankly, because all industries started doing it. Um, Stacy asked a question and uh, I want to address it. Uh, it's a quick one. So she's saying, okay, based on what you're saying, adversary emulation is like an engagement. Does it run for a set amount of time? Can you, can you comment on that? Is it is it engagement based? Is it a is it a capability that an organization executes on? So adversary emulation is just the concept of realistically recreating 
threat behavior in a useful way, right? Driving that functional signal, whether that is through people or tech for me to improve. Now, the best way to do that, the process for it is an engagement, right? I'm not just red teaming for forever. I'm not just purple teaming for forever. I need it to be a defined scope because there's resource constraints. There's a limit to what I can fix and change. Um, the variables about what you can control around these things, right? Scope, frequency, and complexity. I can do one computer. I can try to do all of the computers. I can do this um, once a year. I can try to do this quarterly. I can try to do this monthly. And then the complexity. How deep do I want to go in terms of my emulation? Um, a great example. So a free tool to get started, Atomic Red Team. Atomic Red Team uh, by Red Canary, uh, is it's, it's in the name, right? It is atomic. So it is unit tests one by one of specific Red Team techniques. The, and so I'm able to very simplistically and freely and safely, um, safety being, of course, a key point, because uh, when we red team something and then end up uh, doing it, well, then we're the black hat. And that's that's kind of defeats the point. <laughs> so the atomic red team is this fantastic framework that's maintained by the community where I can do individual tests to do that all the way up to something, again, like my Scythe platform, which is like the true realism of recreating an entire payload and all of the state based behavior of what it can do. Um, this is probably a good segue to, to explaining MITRE ATT&CK, which I'd asked to bookmark earlier. So I'm assuming everybody at this point has heard of MITRE ATT&CK, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. um, I think we get fined by MITRE if we don't mention MITRE ATT&CK at least 15 <laughs> times. Um, and most presentations in the space now look like something like MITRE ATT&CK, by ATT&CK, for ATT&CK, attackity tack tack um, And it's just, it's, it's everywhere. And the reason it's everywhere is I talked about Target being our generational game changer for us to get the budget and what's driving this whole ecosystem of innovation. Attack is the next generational game changer that finally gave us a common vernacular to understand all of these different behaviors. Before it would be like talking about ad, you know, the adversary emulation of like, well, I'm gonna do credential theft. And somebody might think that means this thing, somebody else might think it means something else. And then somebody might call it something completely different. Here's where MITRE ATT&CK is failing you. This is a great concept to talk about, but whether, and I'm not gonna completely blame vendors, but vendors and customers both have gone to hell in the handbasket together of turning that into a bingo card. Yes. Hey, I'm going to do this. Great, I did this. Now I'm gonna do this. And look, we're green and we're green and we're green and we're filling the whole thing in green. No, that's not true. Um, and I actually have definitive case studies where I've seen clients build up entire defenses on that principle. And I show up with a true adversary emulation plan and go right through their controls like Swiss cheese and they're surprised. And here's why. Think of MITRE ATT&CK like a periodic table. It describes the physical elements of our world. Hey, that's hydrogen, that's oxygen, cool. An atomic red team allows me to test hydrogen and test oxygen. It's a great starting point to getting my feet wet and understanding the basis of emulation and the basis of my controls. Here's where it fails. An attack is not hydrogen and oxygen. An attack shows up like water, two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen in that order. Because if you think about what an attacker does, I'm not doing attack to check boxes. I'm doing an attack because those are my tactics that I need to gain the data, to gain the access to accomplish my goal. And I do that in a particular order. And what I'm able to accomplish and where I'm able to accomplish changes that, just like a real chemical equation. And so don't get hung up on testing for hydrogen and oxygen because you're going to find yourself getting all wet with water in the real world. Yeah, it's a it's an excellent point. And I just want to point out, um, if you want more information on this particular uh, topic, I actually had Mick Douglas on, uh, you know, Mick, uh, know Mick Douglas on and like literally we did an hour long talk on stop thinking of miter attack as a silver bullet. Uh, so if you're interested in getting more information, I'll drop a link in chat. Yeah, Mick, Mick's a great guy. Um, we went into that because th there is a serious misconception and it's it's continued to be like, you know, basically pushed by the security industry that like, this is how you secure yourself. Like it's, it's you know, it's guaranteed. Like the more you cover, the better you are. Uh, and, you know, it is it is interesting that that is not the case. So. Let me ask you this, because this is another uh, question that I think when we did our little preview call or whatever you want to call it, 
Um, I made a comment. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. Like simulation and emulation are not the same thing, Jerry. And I just kind of like threw them together in the same bucket and like was like, oh, no, they're the same. So for those who may have heard of adversary simulation or some of the security products out there or those who have heard of adversary emulation, which is what Scythe does, right? Scythe does adversary emulation. What is the difference so people can wrap their brain around the difference that there is one? Okay. First, I need to put the small little italics. This is a nerd conversation now, right? And I, I tend to avoid these for, Gerald, a lot of what you and I talked about beforehand, because it, it gets really deep in practitioner level where there's probably 17 people in the world that care at this level. No <laughs> business really cares about, oh, I'm looking for emulation versus simulation. They do care in the results. They just didn't care about the, the difference in me arguing of the semantics. So, um, as we described, right, emulation is me building the state-based real thing. Simulation is where I'm, I'm simplifying that. So for example, um, Keysight. Keysight is a vendor that um, has a long history in, and they've come into the security space, but what they grew out of was out of test measurement. And what they did was you, if I'm building, um, uh, you know, protocol, I want to be able to drive signal on the wire to see what, what happens. And I need to be able to do across a multitude of things. Um, I'm not sentient as I'm doing that thing. I'm just sending all the signals. So I have this constant baseline of understanding. That's what simulation is, right? I'm not actually doing it because a real attacker is sentient is making thoughts in that state-based way. Simulation, I'm trying to just drive very basic signal. Um, tying that into my competitive market, uh, that's been uh, what the breach and attack simulation space is, um, as defined by Forrester and Gartner. And the vendors there fundamentally do two things. Um, they do a, a local script on a host, which is effectively a checklist. And then they're able to replay PCAPs between endpoints. Now, um, those, that PCAP is, you know, in quote, malicious, but it's not the state-based approach uh, that's giving me deeper dive. That's not to say there's not value with that approach, right? The two things I get from that besides the simplicity, which again, simplicity has value of convenience and resource is um, I'm able to quickly validate technical controls because I look, I'm sending a very specific signal against something I specifically want to see. And it's very easy. And then the second is security is a constant fight against gravity. So things change. So once I've kind of got my controls and my signal locked in, it just replays that over and over again. And then I can see if something changes so I can measure configuration drift. Uh, I see a, a shout out to Kerry Richards there um, over at Anti-Siphon in the, in the chat channel. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they, they've been doing great work. Um, we, used to, we used to work with their training and we're working to come back with a, a freemium version later this year so that we can get our platform into that training. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I do, you know, I can appreciate, you know, doing simulation or emulation, doing something, you know what I mean? Like I, I've always been an advocate of don't let perfection get in the way of progress, right? Even like you said, atomic red team. Yes, it's it's atomic testing, right? It's 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 axiomatic testing of single things, but it's better than nothing. And it's it's a good opportunity. Now, let me ask you this, as far as like uh, the simulation and emulation go, I mean, do you find it? Um, do you find it's more practical for 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 testing and and tuning like technology or skilling up and in, in, in testing the efficacy of the analysts or of the engineers? Uh, this is a question that just occurred to me, but I'm kind of curious on what you've what you've seen. Both. Um, so, of course, putting in the operational environment, um, the key point there is going to be looking at technical configurations and controls. Um, again, going back to where we we're talking about the people aspect of that, those controls tie into alerts where you're now able to measure mean time to detect because I can start to look at, you know, maybe the analyst isn't skilled, right? The alert came in or the SOC isn't properly resourced. And so that's the delay. And so this is the key with metrics, right? Like you don't take them at face value. They tell a story that requires the investigation to understand, but I'm able to do that. The other is, um, and I can say this publicly, is how Rapid7 uses us with their incident response team um, because how do I train cybersecurity is really hard, right? How do I learn forensics? How do I learn incident response? Um, how am I learning as a SOC analyst when it's difficult to easily generate real behavior? Because without that real behavior, I'm, I'm working with something fake and I get into the real world and I have to learn the hard way. 
Um, and so what they, they were using us for is this is a way to generate real payloads and real behavior. So at a host and a network level, I can easily learn my blue skill sets with the real thing. And it didn't take the instructor, the trainer, the environment, um, all of that work to do it because the Scythe platform is doing that work for them. Yeah, you know, so I have messed around or not messed around. I've 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 implemented some of these platforms, not Scythe. Um, you know, sorry, but in in some of my environments and I've seen it and once I've seen it and I'm sure Scythe does the same thing. Like a, as a as a person like, you know, CISO that builds programs and and has controls in place and I report to management Hey, listen, like, you know, like, what are we doing about ransomware, Jerry? And it's like, well, we've got these controls in place. Like, you know, like I, I can't eliminate all risk, but I've reduced the likelihood of it occurring. I've reduced the impact of it occurring. Like, if you want to give me infinite money, maybe I can get closer to 99%, but I'm not going to get there. Okay. And you, you're, we're not going to get infinite money over here anyways. So when I use a, a, a tool like Scythe, and, and granted, my program, it's it's like low headcount, right? So it's not like I have a fleet of SOC analysts and stuff like that. When I use a tool like that, it allows me to know that, like, listen, like, I have this really expensive tool that I bought, right? This, this appliance I've racked and stacked, but it's clearly misconfigured. And to me, the value of that is unbelievable because... Right now, I'm like talking in good faith that like I've got this tool and that that checks these boxes and I you know I get the insurance policy that you know management wanted because I say I have these things, uh, and being able to see that those controls are not actually doing what they're supposed to do. First of all, once you get the like once the nausea passes, then you're like holy crap, I gotta you know I gotta focus on that. So personally, um, I'm not sure where this is going. It's not really a question, but like I just I just find the the value of it huge like purple teaming is got value uh but for smaller organizations frankly or smaller businesses this is like a like a um uh like a force multiplier essentially uh which i which i truly appreciate so let me ask you a question about the platform then or, or scythe or adversary emulation adversaries ttps mitre attack apt38 whatever you want to say right like they don't really change all that much. I mean, there's some nuances, there's some developments and techniques, and maybe you want to uh, push back on that statement I just made, which is okay. Um, but how often do you have to update these platforms or how, like, is it like you set it up and it's good to go for a while with like incremental changes or is this thing like out of date as quickly as the threat actors are changing their behaviors? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is where it really does flip the tables again. Um, so I, I come from an offensive background and one of the, the thoughts that rolled around in my head for years, which led to the creation of this platform was, why did I always win? I mean, I won and in the real world with real targets. I mean, I never lost. And that just blew my mind. And I continue to think about the why. And it's again, it's because defenders try to look at everything and you, you can't, right? Even if you had infinite resources, you can't. It's, it's an infinite space. The post access space is not. Hey, I can only work on your assets and I can only talk the way that you talk. And then as you nailed it, right, you, if you look at attack chains, the techniques significantly overlap between campaigns. Initial access and some of the infrastructure and some of the kind of some of the comms a little bit, um, but not really because it's still in the protocols, right? I might be using HTTPS a little slightly differently, but it's still just HTTPS, uh, which is 70% of how all malware talks um, because I'm getting your encryption, so I don't have to do anything complex. And I blend right into the traffic, which is what I want to do. I want to look like everything else. So, huh, I don't really change a whole lot. And in fact, if you look at it, there's only so many things I want to do on a host. So the behaviors that I'm doing are very limited as well. So you have a constrained amount of behaviors that matter. Now, there's a little bit of a rabbit hole. And this is, again, going back to the failure of looking at the way people have been misusing MITRE ATT&CK is I can do a lot of techniques that match to a particular tactic but there's still a limit on how many of those are. So the, the value with our platform is we're getting out of the stale intelligence and the stale controls that folks typically do because adversary emulation is forcing you to look technically at the behaviors of these things, not at simplistic controls. Um, again, that's where Atomic Red Team and breach, breach and attack simulation can build that foundation, but it's gonna get washed away when the, the ocean of the threat tomorrow's threat shows up when you put that line in the sand. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I, <laughs> I almost wonder if like this is why they called you grim it's like it almost feels like overwhelming like oh it's just just lay down and let the threat actor come and take me away <laughs> oh my gosh so i i appreciate it we had cyber munchkin in chat ask um you know so big organizations wouldn't benefit for adversary emulation i think big organizations would benefit the most from it for two reasons and and bryce and i'd love your thoughts on this one they're more likely to get hit. Everyone can get hit, so it's not like you're too small. Mm -hmm. But like Bank of America, you know, more money, more surface, more you know, focus, and everything like that. Um, you know, bigger target, so more likely to uh, want to have to test those controls and, and emulate adversaries coming after them. Same with you know, the U.S. government, for example. That's a pretty big organization as well. Um, thoughts on big organizations, small organizations benefiting from adversary emulation? Yeah, I'm actually going to come back with that um, from a scythe perspective of failure. Um, so we're, we're talking about adversary emulation, which is effectively the concept that my, my platform has, has codified. And here's the thing. There is zero product market for that idea. Just let that sink in. I have spent six years building an idea for a market that literally does not exist. Doesn't. So let's break that down. Uh, well, what does exist? So the people that do this today are red teams. There are maybe, maybe 5,000 companies globally who have access to a red team resource internally or externally. They are the only folks who even have the talent to be able to pick something like this and drive it and make it their own because red team is a follow on component on the budget line of things. The largest budget in any organization is for business operations itself. Then a fraction of that goes for IT and a fraction of that goes for IT security, the blue team. And then red teaming is one of these niche little things that's on the far edge. That is a fraction of that. That is how small the space is. So only large organizations can actually be, drive all of this as it is today. And that has been our challenge as a platform has been these folks don't have the budget they don't have the, the priority for it. How do we change that? And so the big problem for adversary emulation is one of accessibility. Everybody in an enterprise has a security use case requirement. And if you look at all of the products across the portfolio of security from application development to operations, you see that there are all of these band-aids that are fixing the fact that we don't have enough people to drive that manually. And so that is the failure inside the enterprise side. So my challenge as a founder and with my company is one of accessibility. I think I've got a good idea. The concept seems to resonate. How do I get it in more hands so that they can use it? And that's just talking at the large enterprise level. Once you go below large enterprise, right? So we're moving from the cyber rich, the haves, to the cyber poor, who may still be target rich because just because you're smaller doesn't mean you're not a target. Look at your local school, look at your municipal government who've been just ransacked by ransomware for the last three years. And oh, by the way, if you wanna see the two people who called that, uh, go check out the talk with the CISA director, Chris Krebs at the time and myself at RSA three years ago, where we predicted the oncoming onslaught of ransomware. So for the down market, these folks, it's not that they, and this, Gerald, this is what you and I were talking about with the business side. So it applies with both ways. At this point, it's not that folks don't get that cybersecurity is not a thing. Ransomware, courtesy of Colonial Pipeline and the fact that we have a hydrocarbon-based economy is now a kitchen word. Everybody, including your grandmother, knows what ransomware is, sort of, right? They know the word. So they know that this is a problem. What they don't know is where to start. What can I do? And this is the challenge that a platform like mine has is, hey, great, thanks for showing up and finding all the problems. How do you, yeah, there you go. That's the thing. And actually that white hoodie I'm wearing is a white unicorn hoodie. But um, with the fact that I was on stage with a senior agency director, I actually kept the hoodie down. Oh yeah, just so, making, making some good choices. <laughs> um, so this is, this is the pieces, right? It has to be completely tool driven because there's no way that their budget can afford it or that their resources, right? Being cyber poor means I don't even have the resources to participate in the assessment. So it needs to be as automated and as simple as possible, right? I want the realism, that's important because I do want security just like the rest of you get. I just need it to work in such an automated fashion on the insight 
and the guidance to fix it, which most likely will be with my MSP or my MSSP, that I can actually also benefit from fixing it too. So let me let me ask you this, Bryson. Like ChatGPT is like on fire, right? And we saw in today's news today, Alibaba is announcing that they've got a ChatGPT rival that they're going to be introducing to their platforms. And Microsoft, or no, no, no Microsoft bought ChatGPT. Um, Google's got like Chatter or whatever. Um, and it, obviously, it's supposed to like make everything better. And, and, and you're talking about automation, right? So it's like less resources, uh, you know, cheaper to to implement and stuff like that. Do you see like just take ChatGPT aside, just AI in general, but but that kind of model? Do you see something like that helping uh, integrate into platforms that do adversarial emulation and, and effectively helping with like the purple team capability that delivers um, risk reduction through identifying weaknesses in, in um, you know, programs? Sure. I'm not going to, I'm not going to nerd out on the difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning for this. Sure. I mean, sure. <laughs> at the end of the day, operationally, it's uh, as many if then statements as you can fit on a disc effectively and match to your processing power. Um, that's, that's all it is, right, is I'm able to start to scale more logic to give a computer effectively the Rubik's Cube, right? Hey, I've given you some ideas. You can start to make your decisions based on the variables you're getting back from the environment. Um, it's an area that we've also looked at in our platform because um, on one hand, the platform allows a sophisticated red team operator to drive the entire thing with all of those nuances most people are not a sophisticated red team operator and they just want the thing to do the thing. And so we built that logic into it where you, the payloads will do the things for you. Um, our automation language is actually Turing complete, which means that you could have it be machine learnable. Um, I will just to set everyone's expectations. That does not work out of the box today. Um, that is a research and development project that we're looking at doing with government. Um, so to, to build that, because at the end of the day, it's part of it is building that gaming system where it's the same way that ChatGPT can easily recreate a web page. But when you look at the content, it makes stupid mistakes because it's missing that human context. It's the same way that I need to train from an adversary on a defensive perspective that not all paths are equal. And so being able to gamify that so that it's able to start to prioritize paths and actions so that it makes sense. Going back to the state-based use, right? The chemical equation of using the periodic table of MITRE ATT&CK. Mm -hmm. I don't want my, my uh, payload to try to escalate privileges and then steal credentials, right? Steal credentials and then escalate privileges. There's a state order to these things. So in short, um, artificial intelligence will be here someday. It's not here today. Mm -hmm. um, no matter what Dark Trace tells you, nope, not happening. Don't worry about it. Um, but it's going to be one of those things. Uh, I gave a keynote at ISC Squared last year, and the slide I had that they asked me to talk on artificial intelligence was I showed like the traditional uh, human icon, and I just had like a piece of it and a piece of it and a piece of it. And you can't tell what it is until all of a sudden at the very end, it's a person. And that's going to be what artificial intelligence looks like in this world someday with we're going to see fractional components of human capability and suddenly one day we're going to wake up and that fraction is going to cross where it's enough of a person that we take notice. Um, I don't know the exact time frame on that based on rate of innovation, but I guess we're about 10 to 20 years out. So most likely in our lifetime. Yeah, that's wild. Thank, thank you. Very insightful uh, comments. Because the, the way, yeah, of course, vendors, right? The way that the, the security vendor market's talking about it right now, it's like, it's here and, and it's, you know, it's, it's going to solve everything. Um, I wanted to it, revisit my Gerald. I, I do want to give him credit, right? It's not that it's not here, right? It's what can it do? And what it can do is very simple pattern matching, right? I can identify, Hey, this data point kind of looks like this data point from three months ago. Whereas an analyst would have had to do a lot of work for that. The AI is able to naturally patch that together, but that is a fraction of what a human piece is doing. So it's not that it's not here, just recognizing the level that it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen, you know, some utilities of it essentially doing like tier one triaging in, in, in the SOC, yeah. like yeah. that that type of thing, or or enriching the ticket with like context of what, what uh, analysts would type into Google anyways to, to start. Yeah. Um, so, so let me ask you, going back to MITRE ATT&CK, because that is a really, really valuable artifact, just misunderstood. I know MITRE has been very open 
about soliciting feedback from community. Uh, they're, res they're, they're receptive to improvements and stuff like that. I don't know if you've been involved in any way in any type of comments or open comments and stuff like that. What, what are your thoughts on how, I mean, is it a marketing thing to market it that it's not a silver bullet or is it about improving miter attack? And if it's that, what, you know, what are your thoughts on how to help improve it? Uh, the only question that I really pulled out of that that I can answer is I've been involved with the attack crew since 2018. Okay. Um, lots of conversations. I'm on the attack Slack. Um, we we have a lot of um, we have we we have a lot of we have a lot of collaborative discussion. I'll I'll leave it at that. Um, I don't I don't know quite what what you were asking about attack. Other than that, though. Yeah, sorry. Sometimes I get like super verbose and I'm like losing my mind and I just ask like three different questions in a run-on sentence. I, I was just basically saying MITRE ATT&CK has some gaps. They are receptive to improvement. Yes. You know, what are your thoughts about how it could be improved or have you been involved in discussions on a direction they might be heading? Oh, I, honestly, I think ATT&CK as it is, is pretty much finished. I mean, they're, it, it is never meant to be the thing that captures all the things the fundamental shift was its existence in this concept um, that it incrementally has grown as they continue to add things. Um, they tried to migrate it to different, um, other different areas like industrial control systems, mobile. Um, I think that those are, I think they're ahead of their time and that's not their fault. I think that those are just areas that are further behind. Um, you know, we were going to talk about industrial control systems and you were very concerned that I was going to go in depth and that everybody was immediately going to be lost as I, <laughs> as I went into ladder logic on a program of a logic controller, uh, just like you saw, like an SS7, right? Uh, uh -huh. something, I don't know. Um, I might as well play the uh, discombobulator video. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I met him. I met him at a SANS ICS summit when I was speaking. Um, and actually, my talk there was how to bring adversary emulation into the OT environment. Um, where they're where they're further behind, right? And that that's kind of the point. So the initial joke is, how do you can how can you tell something is an industrial control system? It's at least twenty years old, mm -hmm. and that's one of the fundamental understanding points between IT and OT is what these systems were designed for from a capital perspective, from a high availability perspective, uh, from a long life cycle perspective, and like patching. No, I can't patch that. Encryption, never heard of it. So my point being is MITRE ATT&CK has like gone into ICS and that space is effectively a, a generation behind. I mean, they're still looking at configuration management and asset visibility, just like we were with ITIL in the 1990s. And yeah. so what is MITRE ATT&CK going to do for me? I mean, I don't want to say it has no value, but just an example where like them can try and extend it further that way. Um, they really have made the big crater impact and now it's a lot more maintenance. So there's no big idea I would recommend to them other than commending, thank you for changing the world for the better for us. Yeah. I mean, it certainly has fixed itself into the common, you know, lexicon of cybersecurity professionals. You know, I, I don't know it's, if it's permeated into like mainstream, but you know, it has not permeated in the mainstream. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, you and I and and everybody in chat uh, definitely is familiar with it. I just wish that the MITRE defend people would get the same marketing team behind them because I feel like that doesn't gotten the 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 respect <laughs> or the the exposure it, it warrants. You know, um, that's because defend is useless. Oh well, there you go. Well, thank you. So I guess um, the market responded. Okay. I sorry, I don't mean to be mean. I I just this is this is my MO, right? I just call it like I see it. Um, I was asked to teach a defend class, I can't remember, probably 12, 18 months ago. And I was just like, nope, I, I'm not gonna teach it. I'm I refuse to teach. I don't care if you and they were they wanted to pay me. And I was like, I, I'm not taking money to teach something that I don't think has value. Um, mm -hmm. again, MITRE attack, generational game change to cybersecurity, MITRE defend somebody's trying to take the, you know, put lightning in a bottle and it's not there. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Uh, I haven't evaluated it myself. I just know about it. I saw it when it passed through. I do find it interesting. I, I almost wonder if it's like a backronym. I know that they do this in the government all the time. Like, Ooh, like let's have the opposite of attack and call it defend. Now let's figure out how this, how can we make this an acronym? Uh, we see that all the time. Um, uh, Bryson, so we've got you know a couple minutes. I do, I do, I do want to spend a minute if you're okay with it, pivoting a little bit. I would love to talk about GrimCon uh, because Grim is um, 
Bryson's or one of his businesses. And you've been doing GrimCon for several years. It says seven. It's not an annual. It, it's it's much more of a, like when you want to do it. I think it started during COVID, honestly, this and PancakesCon. But can you tell us a little bit about GrimCon so people can get hyped and go go check it out? Yeah, when I got out of government, um, I named my consultancy. I started by myself, one man um, consultancy, uh, called it Grim. Um, that sounded cool. Calling it Bryson's Consultancy sounded douchey. So that seemed cool. Um, and COVID, right? COVID happened and everybody just started losing their minds. Um, and for those of you who know me, I do a lot of community engagement and activities. And so I kind of felt like a responsibility for the community when, when COVID happened and everyone was like, conferences have stopped. And it's not like we stopped learning or wanting to learn. Uh, so I was like, let's, I just came up with the idea, like I'll start my own virtual conference called GrimCon. Um, and what makes GrimCon different is uh, I think we were the first uh, of really creating an entire track for new speakers. So we have the classic technical track of experts, but not just, hey, here's a space for new speakers because that's not the point. Um, we pair new speakers with a coach one to two months out from the conference and that coach is dedicated to helping them with whatever they need, right? Because so much of what prevents the inclusivity of this industry is getting help to get a voice at the table, right? We, we help give, like creating a conference where there's a track for newbies is creating the seat for them. But how do we give them a voice? So many of them, right? Imposter syndrome. Um, I don't think I know my content well enough. I have a half-baked idea, which is literally every talk I've ever given has been half-baked. So I wish I had somebody to help coach me. Um, and so the idea is whatever that is, whether it is your presentation style, the presentation content itself, just being able to speak, they'll help you to get on stage to be able to do that. Yeah, it's awesome. I've dropped a link in chat uh, for you all uh, on the YouTube stream. You can definitely click on it if you're watching here. It's it's like literally right there. Uh, you can Google GrimCon, uh, Grim Cyber. So it's Grim 7 um, I see uh, She Hacks Purple. I see you, obviously, Bryson. Um, oh, yeah, that was last year. Oh, was it? It says May 18th, 2023. Oh, oh that I says Grim, Grim 8. I see how it is. Okay. Yeah, so that was that's they're showing pictures of snapshots of us from the seventh one. I actually rarely speak at them. Um, so I was invited to keynote my own conference, but I actually had been participating in, in a, a public way for several years or okay. several of them. So, um, yeah, I'm not usually a speaker, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, I, okay, thank you for clarifying that. I made a bit of a mistake. This this red font kind of hid for me uh, here. But I guess I would assume that- Did you that just get red teamed by font? I did, yes, yes. I, I, I just got pwned so hard. Um, I, like spreading fake news about GrimCon 7. Um, so anyways, guys, like I'm sure that th this URL will lead to GrimCon 8 when they do publish it and put oh, it the out CFP's there. Oh, out. So the call for uh, volunteers, coaches, and new speakers is out. Um, I I can't send it to you right now, obviously, while I'm doing this. But um, no, I'm it, looking. It should be on this website, right? It should like, be. I the, who, here. Let me do this. GrimCon eight. I'm gonna do it live right now because there are a lot of people in chat. That's it. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna send this to everybody right now. Okay, guys. Many of you in chat right now, I know, are you know, uh, trying to break in the industry or you're relatively new to the industry. And like Bryson mentioned, and I'm glad you did because I didn't realize this, this event is an excellent opportunity to kind of like stretch your legs and, and give a talk. You'll get mentorship. Uh, you'll get out there. I tell people all the time, Bryson, and I, you know, love your thoughts on this. I tell people all the time and I am vehemently, um, like, or not vehemently, I guess. I, I am strongly passionate about this statement. Like networking within our industry, you and I have worked in this industry for a very long time. Networking in this industry is arguably the most valuable thing you can do for your career. Like, yep. like, like knowing you, like you're on the show right now, like, because I networked with you and, and we had a mutual friend, uh, James McQuiggan, who brought me to um, that event that I met you at and worked the gate. So <laughs> I so, still feel bad about that. General. <laughs> I, I know it's, it's fine. It's fine. So anyways, by doing something like this, guys, you can't, you'll get paired with a mentor. Guess what? You're going to network with that person. You'll meet people who you speak to. They'll follow up with you. This is an awesome, awesome opportunity to kick off 
some of that networking. If you've been a little apprehensive, if you've been doing the double dutch, waiting to kind of jump in and start doing the double dutch, like this is a great opportunity uh, to facilitate or or to be a catalyst to, to doing that. So very, very cool. I'm really pumped that you're doing this, uh, Bryson. As Thank I you. flip out about it. Yeah. Well, no, so cool. if, if I can also uh, pivot from that to my other conference where I am full-time uh, a part of. Hook um, me up. So, yeah, drop it. Yeah. So uh, co-founder of the ICS Village with Tom Van Norman. Uh, as, as Gerald said in the introduction, we're a 501c3. We're a, a nonprofit. I think some people do fun things in their free time. I do uh, nonprofit for critical infrastructure in my free time. Uh, and we traveled all over the world and mostly the country. Um, he mentioned DEF CON ICS Village. We're also at RSA. Uh, we're at a number of other conferences. Um, and we've been doing this for a long time. And it was about six years ago as I was thinking about it that we're traveling all over the place to educate folks on critical infrastructure. And I live in Washington, DC. Maybe I should do something with the folks here so that policymakers and members of Congress uh, can get involved and we can build relationships and educate directly. And so that was where Hack the Capital uh, was born. Uh, and so we're uh, Hack the Capital number six is May 10th through 11th, I believe. Um, it has grown significantly since then. Um, to It's now going to be a two-day conference. Um, there will be um, hosted by MITRE. Actually, speaking of MITRE, yes, I have a great relationship with MITRE. MITRE is hosting me in their, uh, hosting us in, in their space. Um, uh, I already can tell you, Jen Easterly, the current director of CISA, is a keynote. Um, I just oh, so uh, came cool. from her office two days ago. Um, and I'm lining up a number of senators and members of Congress will be there. Um, and if you're there in person, right, we'll have hands-on stuff and you'll have multiple tracks for this. We will also be streaming these talks. So if you can't make it, I think that's one of the things we did learn. The silver lining of the pandemic was making conferences more accessible because not everybody can afford to the time or the money to travel. And so I think it's really important as a conference organizer to make that more available to everybody else. That's awesome. And um, yeah, if, if, you know, if I can restream the, the broadcast to give bigger amplification when you're doing the ICS Village talks, let me know, like I'm happy, you know, Simply Cyber whatever is happy to do that or at minimum promote it. Um, plus, like I see uh, Dawn's cutaway security there. I also saw Dawn in the uh, the graphics. I saw Dawn in chat. So what's up, Dawn? Another uh, longtime ICS Village uh, supporter and, and, and member. Um, plus, Bryson, so you came from Jen's office. Like I, we're at time, but like I, love what Jen Easterly's done with CISA. Like to me, she has like, and maybe it's, it's from the outside looking in and not realizing all the moving parts and stuff. But to me, since she's taken over as director, like CISA has gone above and beyond to be like more transparent and more engaged with the public, uh, the private sector and doing like the active exploited vulnerabilities and doing all these alerts and shields up and all this other stuff. And Jen going to like, you know, DEF CON and walking around and being like a normal person, not like a suit. Like, I, I love what she's doing. Um, you know, it, it, I don't know if you have any thoughts about, about how her impact on CISA has, or how she's had an impact on CISA, uh, or not, but you know, it, it's, it, it's awesome that you had a meeting with her <laughs> basically. Uh, oh, well, so Jen and I go back. Um, so that's that's one of the funny things. In fact, I, I was texting her uh, back when she was uh, going into confirmation hearings and giving her my two cents. Um, so that's that's just coincidence. I don't know all the famous people. Um, I, I happen to have met a few along the way. Yeah. Um, uh, also, I'd like to give a shout out because Chris Inglis, our first national cybersecurity director, is retiring next week. Um, I've known him for years as well. And I just what a great American. I mean, he is the quint quintessence of what you would want from a public servant leader. Um, back to CISA. Um, CISA has a really hard problem. I think very few people really appreciate how young the agency is. It's four years old as an agency growing out of the directorate. Um, she's the second director picking that up from Chris Krebs. And they are effectively hamstrung by how much resources they have, both from what Congress funds them to and how many people they can have. And so um, some of the criticism is that there, there's a lot of folks there to, to drive the communication and less on the help side. That's one of those things that takes time. Um, for those of you who read the article where I came across as critical and CyberScoop the other month, uh, my quote was taken out of context. The full quote that I was giving uh, to the reporter was I was talking about the contrast of CIS's problem versus, say, like the Cyber Collaboration Center at the NSA, where Morgan Adamski can walk out the door 
and immediately know the 10 names of Lockheed, Raytheon, et cetera, and immediately have 80 to 90% of the defense industrial base covered like that, show me where CISA can do the same thing. For example, water utilities. There are over 100,000 water utilities in this country. Tell me how CISA is even beginning to start that. And here's the funny thing. CISA is not even responsible for water. That's the EPA. How many cybersecurity people do you think are the EPA, right? This is the scope of the challenge that we're facing and why it's different for CISA as they really have to build that groundswell of communication, data insight. And what you're going to be seeing in the uh, national security strategy that's going to be coming out shortly is going to be the fact that government is not using regulation as the stick so much as they're using it to drive more visibility that they need to have a data-driven approach. I know this is shocking. Government is actually trying to be smart about how they're getting involved. I love it. And I knew when you said water utility, Justin Gold was going to pipe up a longtime Simply Cyber community member and works at a water utility in the in the great state of South Carolina. So um, I genu genuinely appreciate that. And it is a lot of challenges to deal with. And this is why, you know, you're talking about geopolitical stuff, but like even at a business, like cybersecurity is hard because there's infinite problems. You can't fa prove false negatives. Like you don't have infinite resources, so you have to make decisions. And how do you how do you weigh those decisions? What are the in, uh, the inputs? And then, of course, everything's dynamic and changes. So, yeah, uh, I hear you. And it, it is cool that uh, you and Jen go way back. Um, very cool. So I would say you do know a lot of uh, of, of the famous people, uh, Bryson. You know, so it's very very cool. Um, so today's conversation has been absolutely fantastic. Like I've enjoyed the heck out of it. I know I've seen a lot of great uh, comments in chat, Jide, Jim Lunn, um, you know, Kimberly, a million people saying great things. So definitely enjoy and appreciate you taking the time. Before I want to let you go, Bryson, I always love to give my guests an opportunity to take the stage, share final thoughts, whatever they want. This you know, this shows like community's great. This host, I'm not sure about, or maybe it's something more uh, righteous, but the floor is yours, Bryson. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. So I'll, I'll do it in two parts, right? Um, Y'all are, are budding practitioners at different level in your careers. Um, and my company grew out of community engagement. I mean, we, we grew at the community level. I didn't get, I was a national security East coast guy. I couldn't get the large venture capital checks. So uh, instead, I had to do it the hard way with who I knew at the bottom level, just working day in, day out and trying to think of what kind of content, um, particularly free content that we could provide, um, which is still a large part of the DNA of our company. And so what we do is every month um, we put on a free hands on workshop on different aspects around this. Again, not just the adversary emulation piece, but again, detection engineering, the ability to fix things. Uh, tomorrow, if you go to our website, you'll see we have a three-hour free workshop with your own range. Um, we'll set up an isolated environment. I believe there are nine different hosts in your environment, like domain controller, Active Directory, a Kali Linux box, a Target box, like all of that level um, with uh, Chris Peacock, who is one of the top 20 Sigma contributors in the whole world. He's currently number 18. Not that that matters, but it's fun. Um, so you can get hands on, like I said, not just even applying the concepts of what I'm talking about, which might seem like a bit much, but just learning how to be better at fixing from the blue side, because it really is red and blue together. And those workshops that we do cover all sorts of the different angles of red, blue and purple. It's all free. It's a lot of fun. Um, and we'll, you don't have to show up. A lot of people get intimidated by this stuff. Just show up. We, everything I do, whatever it's the village, whatever conference I have a part of, we have every exhibit has to pass what I call the spouse test, right? Your spouse is just like, I know how to turn on and off a computer and that's it. Everything we built has the tutorials and the guidance and the help there for you so that you can start whatever it is and go somewhere, whether that's our workshop, whether that's my village. The final piece is really gonna be a call to all of you in a community. This community, and we talk a lot about diversity, inclusion and equality, the struggle that I see is we spend a lot of time, just like we do on initial access, with diversity. Diversity is initial access for people. We're getting folks that don't look like us a seat at the table. And I'm not saying this because it's politically correct. I'm saying this because I think this is actually what makes security security. You need as many people who think differently than you to be able to understand and truly get around any problem that you're looking at. And security in particular, as one of imagination, 
benefits from all of those different voices around the table. Folks that look different than you, think different than you, come from different backgrounds. But here's the thing, like diversity is initial access, we're giving them a seat at the table, but they don't necessarily feel comfortable sharing their insights and their voice at that table. That's the burden of inclusion. We need to be their partner. We need to help them when they come on board. We need to be their coach, their ally. That takes hard conversations and that takes stepping up to make sure that they feel safe so that they can participate because that's where we truly unlock the value to all of us as a community. Yeah, thank you so much. Spoken, you know, very sage advice. You know, it, it kind of echoes or aligns with what you're saying with the speaking opportunity at GrimCon uh, for inclusion, for, you know, different voices and, and, and breaking down those barriers of entry. And I agree 100%. Like getting different perspectives is one of the best things you can do because if everybody if everybody's just like you then you're kind of myopic in what you're looking at i've gone ahead and taken uh chris peacock's uh event right here it is tomorrow at 1 p.m eastern time and dropped it in chat this is a really great community service uh that scythe and chris are are hosting or putting on so definitely check that out uh if you have the time uh Bryson, uh, Carrie had a question. If you can't make it because you're working, is there is there an opportunity for replay? Is there an opportunity to like uh, go back and, and review what was done? Maybe not participate live. I'm I'm not. What exactly? So the Chris Peacock principal detection oh, engineer. Oh 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 no um no because they're not. It's not a lecture. It's 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 kinesthetic learning. Like we're doing hands on with these environments. So you're getting to put code on a computer and actually do things. Okay. Um, so the replay isn't really valuable. Um, all I can tell you is we do these every month. So if you can't make this one, there will be another one. Oh, excellent. Okay. And one other thing, like normally I would just send you to the green room right now, but this is, this is a really great conversation and I love it. Um, I do want to point out Bryson is on Twitter. Um, he's very active on Twitter. Um, I'm going to drop a link in here. So you, you would be posting on Twitter all of these every month, right? I, I assume if I go through your feed, I'm going to find something about Chris Peacock in your event, right? Oh, there's your, uh, you know, on this one right here. Um, so would this be like a good place for people to yeah, find out you, about the you next follow one? Me, I will, I will push it. Okay, cool. Uh, also, you'll get to see Bryson, <laughs> Bryson's travel um, all over the place. Uh, the man, the man travels well. So definitely love it. All right, uh, Bryson, it's been an absolute, you know, delight. Thank you. Whoa, I got really big really quickly there. Let me, hold on, let me, yeah, exactly. Whoa, whoa, boy, hold on. All right, I, I definitely want to thank you uh, so much, Bryson. I hope you had a good, a good experience on the stream chat. Thank you all so very much for being here, asking great questions, being very uh, engaged with the conversation. I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, I just want to remind everybody, if you don't know, and I don't even know if, um, Bryson knows this, but tomorrow, um, whoa, that's kind of a full screen that isn't going to work. Let's do it like that. Uh, tomorrow, every mo weekday morning, 8 a.m. tomorrow, I do a live threat briefing every single day for 45 minutes, cover the top cybersecurity news of the day. So hopefully you can join us if you're interested. Uh, there's hundreds of people live in chat helping each other network and, uh, you know, share share information and all that. So it's a wicked good time. Uh, I do it as a, you know, as a good time, uh, Bryson. So um, definitely check that out. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's stream. Thank you all so very much. If you want to catch the replay, it will be available on YouTube. Go check it out. And until tomorrow at 8 a.m., stay secure.